Crosspoint Online, welcome. Hey, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors around here. And like Kyle said, we are continuing in our series, Good News. And I've been loving this series. And I just want to let you know it only gets better from here. Next Sunday, our lead pastor, Aaron Brockett, is going to be back to preach. And I know I'm excited and I know he's watching right now. So in the chat, can we just throw it in there? Let him know how excited we are to have him back. And if you just started with us over the past few weeks, I'm telling you next weekend is one you do not want to miss. He, he is one of the greatest preachers on the planet. So make sure you get back for that one. But as far as today goes, this series, Good News, I just wanna give you everything you need to know about where we are and where we're going. So in this series, we've been looking at this, this what we call a book of the Bible, but it's actually a letter. Uh, it's a letter from a guy named Paul to a church in Philippi. It's a personal letter. We're reading someone's mail. And to take it a step further, we're actually reading prison mail. This is a letter from Paul while he's in prison to a church in, a city of, in the city of Philippi. And I just want to take a second and talk about how wild that is. That this is a part of the Bible. This is God's inspired word. That he could have put it on anything. That he could have put it on sheets of gold. It could have been this thing that fell from heaven. But God chose to use a letter from a guy in prison. Like this, I just think that that says something of who God is and the type of people he uses and how God shows up. But that's what we're picking up on in chapter 2 of this letter. And what we're looking at, what's, what's the wild thing here is that Paul is in prison. He's facing death, execution, but he's writing an encouragement letter. He's writing to other people to let them know, oh, I know what you're thinking. This thing's slowing down. Don't mind these shackles. God is at work and he's doing something. And I want to encourage you. And that's what we're going to pick up with in chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Look at what Paul says. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. So Paul starts off here in chapter two, jumping right into it with what seems like an odd question. Like, is there any encouragement to follow Jesus? And what he's doing, he's not implying that there might not be any encouragement. Instead, he's saying, if you grant the premise that because you follow Jesus, you do receive some things, that there are some benefits from following God, then your life should change. But what, what, what encouragement is he talking about here? What do they have and what do we have? Well, for starters, we've all been saved regardless of our background. Regardless of our family tree, regardless of our criminal ties, regardless if we're a man or a woman, regardless of where we come from or what we've done, he says the encouragement that you have in Jesus, remember this, that God met you right where you are and saved you by grace. 
meaning it had nothing to do with you and everything to do with God. He said, we can start there. That's the, that's the encouragement. And just a side note, if you're looking for the difference between Christianity and everything else, it's right there. It's that we are met with grace. That, that, that before we do anything, we are loved and encouraged. And then our lives are a response to that. Everything else says, if you do this, then maybe one day this could be true. But God says, no, 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 be encouraged. Your life is changed because I met you with my life-changing love and grace. So that's the way Paul kicks things off with like these, these rhetorical questions of, is there? And if there is, then your life should change right where you are. And then he, he kind of gives us a few things that if this is true, that if, if Jesus has changed your life, then these things will be true about you. And he lists a few of them. And I just want to grab two. He says, you'll have fellowship together in the spirit and you will have one mind. Now, these two things, if, if you have them together, they create a beautiful culture. They, they create the type of community that the world has, has never seen. It is irresistible, like the closeness and the love and the encouragement that if you have these two things, if you have fellowship together with the Spirit and you have one mind. But let's, let's break it down here because these are kind of big phrases. You may be like, I don't even know what that means. And that is completely okay. But first he says, we have fellowship together in the Spirit. So what does that mean? What he's saying here is that the, we have one spirit, that same spirit that saved us no matter where we were, it brought us together. That now that we have that, it, it, it creates the bedrock, it has the foundation for us to have the best and the closest relationships. Because maybe you know this, I know this, making friends is pretty hard, especially the older you get. You, you often will kind of get pushed into a room or, or, or you get to sit next to someone or maybe your wife pushes you into a relationship with another guy because you have a shared interest, right? Like, I mean, you guys both like sports, you'll, you'll be best friends. So they just kind of scoot you into a room together and you're just standing there like, hey, how's it going, man? Good. So you like, uh, I hear you like sports. Yeah, yeah, you? Yeah, I like sports. So you like, uh, you like ESPN? Yeah, yeah, man, I like ESPN. You, uh, you like ESPN too? Like you, there's nowhere to go. Like it just feels like you're trying to create friendship out of nothing. But Paul says because of this fellowship that we have together in the spirit, there becomes this connector that is stronger than anything else because there's something that becomes more true than anything else, more than your background, more than your ethnicity, more than where you were raised, more than any of that, because you were saved by grace, now the most true thing about you is that you are a son of God, that you are a daughter of God. And because you have that, that will create relationships that nothing else can. That will bring people together from all over the place and together in a place where nothing can separate these relationships. Because this fellowship that we have, it not only creates the relationships, but the spirit within us fights for unity. It begins to, to work in such a way that we can't live the way that we used to. Relationships matter just, just too much. 
And you see this come up all the time, especially with people that recently started following God. They'll come in and they'll be celebrating from the weekend like, hey, it was crazy. This week I was, I was about to explode. Like I got triggered. I was about to just haul off on somebody. And then it was like I felt this conviction come over me. Like I went from being angry to I had this peace. I didn't respond the way that I once would have responded. I was, I was, I was slower. It was almost like an out of body experience. Like what is that? That's the spirit of God bringing unity to relationships. Or maybe you're pulling up your phone and you're about to fire off a text message and those three dots are just rolling and you're about to destroy them. And then as you're working through that, you start reading what you're saying and then you feel this deep conviction come over you and those three dots disappear. And instead you send a message and say, hey, can we just sit down and talk? What is that? Well, that's the fellowship in the spirit that it's bringing all people together and it is keeping them there, that we would be united in this spirit. And then he says, and you'll have one mind. You'll have one mind. Well, what is that? Well, this, this isn't actually, this line of thinking isn't new to, to Paul. It's actually a line that comes from a different part of the Bible in First Chronicles. He's reusing it. Rappers would call this recycling, all right? So he's taking a line and he's using it again. So where did this line come from, to have one mind? Well, we see it back in First Chronicles with David, that uh, David, he was not king yet, but all of the people were coming together to make David king. They had one mind to see David become king. That, that was what they were all locked in on. That's what they were all trying to do to make sure happened. Now with, with here and with us, we have the same thing, but our one mind is connected to something a little bit different. Our one mind, our deepest desire, our one desire is to make Jesus king. The desire for him to be not only the king over my life, but for him to be known and for him to be the king of everyone else around me. We have this one mind. So in these few quick things, Paul answers the question of who we are, our identity, that the most true thing about us is that we are sons and daughters of God. That brings us together. And then we actually all have one mind, our deepest desire, the thing that's uniting us, the thing that's keeping us rowing in the same direction is this desire to make Jesus king. And he's saying, because you have this love, because you have this encouragement, your heart should be tender. They should be compassionate. You should, you should have unity along with everyone and no one should be able to steal what God has created. And what, what happens? when that's true? What, what happens when we have fellowship together with the Spirit? What happens when we have one mind? Well, we begin to see Jesus in everyone. I mean, think about this. If we're waking up with fellowship in the Spirit, every day we're reminded of how we got that. We're reminded that we're connected to God because we're saved by grace, meaning He had to die for me to have this relationship. And that immediately brings me to the space of that he died for all of humanity. So now when I look out, I don't see people as what they can do for me or how they're hurting me or how they're slowing me down. But the first thing that I see about them is that they are a son of God, 
that they are a daughter of God. So when I'm in the line getting my coffee, when I see the barista, the first thought that I have is, wow, they're really slowing me down today. They're making me five minutes late. I wish they would move a little bit faster. No, the first thing that I see about them is that they are a loved child of God, that they are worth dying for. That immediately changes how I approach them. That immediately changes how we interact. When I go to work, whenever I go home, every, the, the homeless person that I, that I walk by on the street, now everyone is seen through a different lens because of this fellowship in the spirit, because of this one mind. And I just wanna give us a prayer that we can wake up with every single day. And this is a prayer that God will answer, all right? Here it is, God, let me see you in everyone. God, let me see you in everyone. I'm telling you, this is a life-changing prayer. I think a lot of times we get caught up with prayers of asking for different things or wanting this or wanting to change a circumstance. The point of prayer is not to get a list of things that we want. It's to align our hearts, align our one mind to the mind of God, to give us the eyes of God and to say, God, let me see you in everyone. From the time I wake up until I close these eyes, God, let me see everyone as someone that you died for. You see, what this prayer does is it immediately embeds humility into our lives. It immediately brings me to this spot of humility knowing God had to die for me and that God died for everyone, that I needed grace and everyone needs grace. So it starts me in a place of humility. And this is what Paul is after here. He's trying to get us to this place to humble ourselves. And I love the, what, what he does next in the next few verses. He's gonna walk us through. So he says, you have all of this encouragement, you have all of this love, and now it's like, what now? How do I practically live like that is true? And so the next few verses, he follows the same pattern. He'll say, hey, don't do this, instead do this. Hey, hey, don't do this, instead, do this. Take a look at this in verse three. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others. So Paul kicks things off here and he says, don't be selfish. And I love the way that he sets this up because he, he throws it out there. And maybe when you read that or you've read that before, you heard that and you're like, don't be selfish. Cool, that, that, it's not me. I'm not a selfish person. I'm pretty generous. And we can kind of slide past that jab, but then I feel like he comes over the top with a haymaker and he says, oh, okay. And don't try to impress others. See, I don't know about you, like if you met me, you might not say that, wow, Ryan is a selfish person. But I do struggle with trying to impress other people. And actually trying to impress other people, it allows me to, to camouflage my desires. It, it allows me to kind of still make myself feel good and be selfish at the same time. That's why I love the beauty in this. He says, no, 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 don't be selfish. Now, I'm catching you over here too. And don't try to impress others. Anyone else struggle with this? I know for me, I can still remember like my first date with my now wife. 
first date, it was a blind date situation. And I got there first. It was a group of us coming together and I'm standing there and I'm nervous. I'm worried, what am I gonna say? And then I see something. I see something that's gonna change the night for me. I just found something that is going to give me the edge. It's gonna give me a leg up and it's right over there in the corner. It is a Papa shot basketball game, all right? And maybe you know what I'm talking about. Like this is the, you know, the game for children where the balls come down and you try to make as many as you can in a short amount of time. Now, I will say this. I am ridiculously good at this game, all right? So I see my opportunity. I walk over to the machine. I put my money in and I start playing and, I, and I'm, I'm in the zone. I'm shooting my shot, right? And then my buddy comes up to me and he says, hey, they just got here. She's walking through the door. Now, in this moment, any normal adult would have said, I'm gonna stop playing this children's game and turn and meet this beautiful woman. I did neither of those things. I kept playing. In my mind, I thought if she walked in and she could see me in motion, if she could see me getting 100 points in this game that doesn't matter, that I would impress her. And somehow I would seal the deal before the night even got started. She would want to be with me forever if she could only see me play this game. Now, was that true? No. What really happened? I kept playing, she walked over, and I left her there standing uncomfortable. I didn't acknowledge her. I did what was best for me, even at the expense of her. I wanted to impress her though. And this, this idea, this, this wanting to impress other people, it is built into our culture. This achievement mindset that I have to outdo the other person, that I have to perform so that other people will think I'm worth it. Like it's all in our work culture. Like I've been a part of it where you have to grab the spotlight. You have to put it on me. You have to beat your chest and say, this is why I'm the best. This is why I'm a leader. This is why I'm a beast. And this is why I will push you off the ladder just so that I can climb to get to the top. But what Paul says here, he says, no, no, no. Don't live like that. Don't live to, 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 to be selfish. Don't live to try to impress other people. But you see how they're connected? That being selfish and trying to impress others, they're both fueled by pride to the point that even the good things we do being done for the wrong reasons, they will never bring us fulfillment. If Doing what's best for me will never leave me fulfilled if it ends there. But it's hard, like I said, because it's reinforced in our culture. But what Paul's saying is, hey, for you, because you've been loved, because you're worth dying for, you can start in a different place. You can start in a place of humility. So for you, be humble. Don't, don't look to the interest of just yourself. Look to the interest of others. And here's something to hold on to. It's kind of a filter to put things through as you go through your days. If I live to impress others, the benefit is mine. Now, if I live for the interest of others, the benefit is ours. So here, here's what I mean by that. If I live to impress others, the benefit is mine meaning I'm gonna do what's best for me even at the expense of someone else. 
And then if I live to impress others, it's a treadmill that I can never get off of. It's only gonna go faster and faster. I'm only gonna feel like I have to work harder and do better and be smarter to be able to impress the other people. And when I don't get the affirmation from them, it will bring me down. That the thing that I'm actually looking to to fulfill me will be the thing that destroys and steals all of my joy and love. But if I live for the interest of others, the benefit is ours. Meaning I not only directly benefit from looking to the interest of others, but obviously the people that I'm looking to, that I'm placing their needs and their wants above my own, they benefit as well. That if we want to live for the interest of others, for them to be directly benefited, then we will constantly look and say, how can I serve? How can I bring the spotlight off of me? And here's the thing, it benefits us. And this is, we, we don't just serve because it's the nice thing to do. We don't just place people's interests above our own because it's the nice thing or the good thing to do. It's because we are called to do it because in doing so, it actually provides the best life possible. I mean, scripture is filled with it. That for us to help others, it's what actually creates the best life for us. It's what makes us look more like Jesus. That's why it says things like, it's better for us to give than it is to receive. That those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That the Bible even goes as far to say that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That he gives grace to the humble. And being humble brings us to this space where we not only have a better relationship with God, but we have a better relationship with one another. You see, God doesn't need us to be a superhero. God doesn't need us to be super talented. To use us, what God needs us is to be humble. To start our day saying, God, show yourself in every single situation. In the everyday, the ordinary rhythms of my life, God, help me to place the interests of others before my own and God will answer that prayer. And we've had so many people in this season do just that, to step outside of themselves and to look for the interests of others. Like Kathy. Kathy, who recently asked her group to provide lunches for Wheeler Mission. And Sarah, a woman in her group said this about Kathy. She said, Kathy wasn't afraid to help. And she wasn't afraid to ask others to help. She encouraged us in a gentle, loving way to stand up in faith and to serve during a scary time. This brought our group together and blessed our families by creating an avenue for us to serve. This is incredible, but look at that. Look at that last line. What did it do? Kathy putting the interests of others before her own it obviously helped the people at Wheeler Mission, but then look at that line. It brought our group together. It brought unity within our group and it blessed our families. It blessed our families that the benefit was ours. When we started at this place of humility, the benefit, it just kept going. 
Kathy, can we celebrate you right now? Thank you for modeling humility. Thank you for not being afraid to serve. Thank you for stepping outside of yourself. Everyone in the chat right now, can we just celebrate Kathy just for a few seconds, throw it out there, let her know how thankful we are, how big of a deal it is and the difference she is making right where she is. I mean, celebrating is the best, isn't it? Like I love celebrating. I love being a part of celebrations. I love getting to see celebrations. And my favorite celebration, hands down, is the celebration that happens during a basketball game with the players on the bench. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you don't, you can Google it later. You can spend easily three hours of your life watching them. But you have these people who are on the bench who are not getting into the game unless something goes horribly wrong. Unless they're up by like 50, everyone fouls out. Like something's gonna have to happen for them to get in the game. And yet they are the most energetic. Yet they are celebrating the people on the court. They are singing, they're dancing, they're eating fake bowls of cereal. Like they're having the time of their life in a spot where they could easily just be sitting down with the towel over their head, thinking of how messed up this is thinking that they should be the ones in the game, thinking that they're better than everyone out there. And yet they found it in themselves. They have the humility to stand up and to celebrate other people. And I think there's something really powerful there for all of us, that even when we don't have a move to make, we can always stand in humility. That even when we don't have a move to make, that we can always stand in humility. That a lot of times we spend our lives waiting, trying to impress others so that our name can be called, so that we can check in and get to the season that we want to be in. But instead, if we could be in this spot and say, I'm stationed here, God, show me who you are, show yourself in everyone, in every interaction, and I am here in humility, that I'm gonna celebrate everyone that comes my way. And this week, I just wanna challenge us with that. I wanna challenge us with that every day to wake up with that prayer. God, help me to see you in everyone. And then here's the challenge, clap for other people. Clap for other people. And here's what I mean by that. Celebrate other people. Like don't let a day go by this week without celebrating someone. And I'm telling you, if you wake up praying, asking God to show you, asking God to humble you, you will have an opportunity to celebrate people left and right. Like what would it look like if that was the place where we started? And I know that's gonna be harder for some of us than others because maybe your tendency is more on the other side. Like for example, when we just read the story of Kathy, and how she was serving other people, how she's making lunches for people at Wheeler Mission. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the first thought you had was, must be nice, Kathy. Must be nice to have time on your hands to make lunches for people. I wish I could, but I'm not like Kathy. And immediately your heart began to change. But what if in that moment, instead of must be nice, it shifted to, Kathy, let me celebrate you. Kathy, what you're doing is incredible. Let me send you a message and let you know that you inspire me. That there's, we, we, it's limitless. It's not like by celebrating someone else that it somehow points out what we're not doing, no. That when we celebrate someone, it actually brings encouragement their way, love their way. And we can do this nonstop. This week, 
When you go to work, just go in a place that I'm gonna celebrate. I'm gonna be clapping for people and you will find a reason. Show up. Like, hey, just show up and, and you get the email. Just fire back. Like, hey, Jerome, stop it. That Excel spreadsheet was incredible. You are a beast. Or after the meeting to go up to Monique and just be like, oh my gosh, the way that you led that meeting. I mean, you inspired me, you moved me. I love, I love when you did this. That you can find a reason to celebrate. You can find a reason to clap for other people. Even for Eric, who sits in the cubicle behind you and does who knows what. Find a reason to celebrate him. Like Eric, bud, I love the way you spin in your chair like that. I love the way you take an extra 15. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but as we go through our days, we can find a reason to celebrate people. That on social media, the place that is created, it, it's such a, a natural place for comparison, right? That you begin to see things and your immediate thought is, must be nice. That, this, that we could end the comparison game with humility. That when we see something, even if, and especially if in that moment, our heart goes, uh, don't like that, to stop and to say, no, I'm gonna celebrate that. That's incredible that they get a family vacation. That's incredible that they're serving in the way that they are. That's incredible that their daughter got straight A's. I'm gonna let them know, I'm gonna clap for them. At the dinner table, just to sit down this week, not prompted, but just to look at your friends, your family, your kids, and just say what's on your heart to look for a reason to celebrate them. I love when you do this. I love the way you did that. I love the way you treat him. You see, I've lived long enough to know that very rarely do we share what's on our heart. Very rarely do we let people hear those words. Then I just don't wanna be in a place where I'm sharing how I feel, or I'm sharing my encouragement at a funeral. Use those words while they can still hear it. Send those flowers while they can still smell them. That right now, as we go through our lives, we get to create this environment. That we get to go and that everywhere we go, we get to celebrate people, to clap for them, to infuse this irresistible culture. And you know, the Bible actually calls us to outdo one another in this. It says it to almost make a competition out of it. To every day, we should be looking for opportunities to outdo one another in honor. This is what Philippians chapter two is all about, to create a culture of love, to create a culture of encouragement, to have fellowship, to have friendship, to have one mind and to be unified, to not look out for ourselves, but to look out for others, not to impress them, but to make an impact on them for their benefit and not just ours, we get to create that. We get to create it. And you know, I recently heard an interview with a musician and they were asking him, like how did he begin to create his music? And I thought his answer was so profound. He said, I had a sound in my mind that I longed to hear. And everywhere I looked, I looked in the current music, I looked in old music and I couldn't hear it anywhere. So I sat down and I began to create the music that I longed to hear. You see, this is the same thing for us, that we get to create a culture of humility. 
We get to create a, a culture of love and compassion and unity. That we get to create it by stepping in and looking to the interest of others, by stepping in and celebrating other people, by stepping in and being the people that we always needed when we were younger, by stepping in and being the people we need right now, that we get to humbly step into all of these relationships and infuse this, this heavenly culture, that we can have one mind, that we can have fellowship together in the spirit. This is the good news, that we have fellowship with the spirit. You see, this not only connects us to one another, what we were talking about, it not only creates the best friendships we could ever ask for, it not only fights for unity, but fellowship with the Spirit connects us to God. It connects us to Jesus, the ultimate example of humility. Look at verse five. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth and under earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. In this moment right now, can we get our clapping hands ready for all the celebrating we're gonna do this week with other people? Can we celebrate Jesus, the most humble example that we have? Jesus who left heaven, humbled himself to earth, that he would go through a human experience, live perfectly, and then go to a cross, die a criminal's death for who? For us, for our benefit. But he would go as far as to say, it's not just our benefit, he benefited from it because he wanted us and to die for us, to take away our sins, to save us through grace. That was the only way he could have us for eternity. So that's exactly what he did. So right now, wherever you're watching from, every nation, every tongue, everyone, can we celebrate that Jesus is King, us coming together with one mind, making that true one mind saying that out loud, that this is what we live for. This is why we are humble. And then here it is, that what's so powerful here is that it says that we must have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And what this is, this is so much more than just WWJD, like what would Jesus do? No, no, it says we must have in the good news, is that Jesus, this same spirit that unites us together, the same spirit that fights for unity, this same spirit is the spirit that rose Jesus from the grave. It is a powerful spirit. It's the spirit that allows us to put death to our selfish nature. It's the power, it's the mind that allows us to see others more important than ourselves. It's the power within us that allows us to, 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 to celebrate other people even when it's hard 
that we have all of this, that the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is the same power that lives in you. This is the fellowship of the Spirit, that we can go and love, that we can create a community, we can have relationships that are truly life-changing, we can be encouraging, we can have tender and compassionate hearts so that we can be in a place with people and we can share the most loving thing that we could possibly share about this King, this King Jesus who humbled himself, who gave up everything and who says you're worth dying for, who places you as a son or a daughter, someone that has a plan for your life, someone that would do anything so that he could have you for all of eternity. It's the most loving thing we could do. And what God says is that if we have faith through grace, we get that power. And that if we live our lives with that desire to make him king, to share his gospel, to share his good news, look at what it says in verse 15. It says, for God is working in you. Right now, even if you don't feel like it, right now, if you're in a, in a tough season, which all of us are, God is working on you. Giving you what? Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. If we can humble ourselves to come to this space and to make our lives about furthering his kingdom, about making his name known, that he will give us the desires of our heart, that he will give us a power that cannot be shaken. And that's what I wanna do right now, is just pray. Pray that, we, that our minds could be locked in, that we could have one mind, we could have friendship with the Spirit, and that we could go from here and we could infuse that into everywhere that we go. So right now, wherever you are, would you, would you pray that with me? That through His Spirit, that we would have power and the desires would match Him. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for the unity that we have in your spirit. We thank you for the relationships, the strength. God, we thank you for the humility. And God, we just pray right now, give us one mind. God, take away any idea that we are king or that we are the queen or that we're living to impress others or that we're living to build our own kingdom. But God, right now, we ask to come together under your spirit with one mind for unity, for your glory, for our benefit. God, let us go from here. And as we go, God, I pray right now for the empowerment of your spirit. Give us the power, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. Give us that. The desire, the same desire that would make Jesus leave heaven, go to a cross, humbly die a criminal's death. God, give us those desires. Take away everything else. God, we look to you for everything. And God, I pray this week we see you in everything and let that be what shapes us as we learn to follow you better. God, it's in your perfect name that we pray, amen.